Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in High Fidelity. Welcome to the Along Came a Writer Network. Opinions expressed in our shows do not necessarily reflect those of the network. Hi, this is Angela Breidenbach with Historically Speaking, and usually we do a show that includes a love story. Well, I do have kind of a love story that I'm going to tell you today, and it is very true. But what I want to tell you about today and give you the opportunity to uh, do on your own is visit one of Montana's most famous, well-preserved ghost towns. The reason is that in addition to this ghost town being incredibly well-preserved, there are amazing uh, graveyard and gravestones right there by it and uh a wonderful place that you can go visit and stay overnight in a campground that's also there right by a river. I just did this with my authors group that we went down and we did a retreat at the beginning of June and I took so many pictures and it was the most amazing and gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous day. It was just breathtaking and a lot of the pictures, I'd love to say it was my photography skills. I would love to say that. Unfortunately, it just happened to be the setting. And the sky was so blue. There were big, big, giant, fluffy cotton ball clouds in, you know, that were floating through the sky. And then they would part. It would just be amazing sunshine. And it was one of those amazing cobalt blues that you just, it takes your breath away. And in this setting with the old wood and the buildings and the opportunity to go in and explore Bannock, Montana, you've got to go to Bannock, Montana. Now, they do have an amazing festival, but there's a difference of going on festival day and going on your own like we did. There is a park ranger station that they took one of the buildings there and they refurbished it and turned it into the station where you can go in and you can pay your $2 and get your hand-guided tour booklet, which I suggest you do because you'll know who lived in the houses or buildings or ran the businesses, which is really, really fun. And then some of those fun stories that I'm going to tell you just little snippets of, because I don't want to tell you everything because I want you to go. (laughs) This is an amazing family friendly, always good for your heart kind of thing. You know, that's my brand. That's what I want to be able to offer to you is something that you can do with your family. And this is also a wonderful opportunity for you to create romance within your family, old world romance that uh, when you're going back into the history of uh, Montana, you can teach it to your children. And we were there with some friends. Uh, one of one of my writing friends, his name is Josh, and he had his little kids there. Well, Josh is a pastor. So we went through, there's a wooden boardwalk that goes all the way through the town. Almost the whole town is still there. And as we're walking through the boardwalks of town, we come upon a church. And it's gorgeous. And I'll show you a picture of the church and things like that in the show notes. But when you go inside, the pews are still there. And the lectern area is all still there. Well, he has a little toddler who watches his dad do uh, Sunday services all the time. So he found, he didn't have a Bible handy. He found a little piece of wood that would suffice. And he held it up as if it were a Bible. And he started marching around, preaching to the congregation, just babbling at us. It was hilarious. So we we watched him have a really good time uh, being his daddy. It's a place that little kids can go with their families and you can spark their imaginations like that. 
I think ghost towns are awesome like that anyway, and especially if you can find out anything about the people that live there. And one of the stories that is truly amazing, a little romantic, a little tragic, is this woman, uh, they called her the Golden Treasure, and her name was Mabel. And Mabel, uh, I don't know whether she was born there or not, the guidebook didn't say that, but um, Mabel had her own store. And she also had her own gold mine. Now, here's the thing about Bannock, Montana. The gold mining in Montana started at Bannock. That's where the gold rush started. And then Bannock, Montana became the place that was uh, Henry Plummer's. He's very famous. I'll tell you about him in a minute. And he, it started to be his base of operations uh, because he was a renowned road thief. And so he, but we'll get to that in a minute. So, because he was kind of a double agent. <laughs> but Mabel, she was a lady who knew the history, knew the place and owned her store there. And she was one of the last graves added to the graveyard there in Bannock, Montana. The sad part about it was she had um, worked her day in her shop, closed up her shop and got into her vehicle and at the time, you know, vehicles weren't as reliable as, well, I don't know. Do you have a reliable vehicle? <laughs> weren't as, as reliable. And they were much, much heavier than they are today. She drove out to the gate, uh, got out of her car or truck, I think it was, got out of her vehicle and went to the gate, opened the gate, and the transmission failed on it. And it rolled over her. And so she died. She was a very uh, elderly lady who was still working her own gold mine her own claim but at the time she she didn't die of old age and she didn't die because of the uh terrible conditions or anything like that she died because her truck rolled over her when her transmission failed and uh, i will definitely put her grave up because somebody has done an incredible design using stones from the area on her grave as a memorial. It was really, really beautiful. And I have to share that graveyard with you uh, because not only has that happened, but it's very unique. The graveyard is just a little ways down the road outside, like they commonly did, of the town of Bannock. And it's fenced in. But what's really unique is a lot of the graves are fenced in with wood. And of course, now this is 150 to 160 years ago. And a lot of those wood fences, they just fence in one grave at a time. So when you go there, there you're starting to see the fences and the wood break down. And some of the original, the early, early headstones were done in wood. And some of those are broken. But people have gone and tried to do their very best to do some upkeep and do a lot of respect for the people that are still there. You see the old Jewish custom of a stone on every grave. And if you don't know what that custom is, it's quite beautiful. About a year, a year after the person passes away and the gravestone is set, the Jewish people go to the grave and they place a stone on the grave. And I, I don't know a lot of detail about this tradition, except that I know that when the stone is placed there, it... Uh, lets the person know who's passed away that they're not forgotten. And it's very reminiscent of Old Testament where they would build markers out of stones as a memory of a beautiful thing that the Lord did or a memory of a person, some uh, festival or battle that was won was marked with stones. 
And so to this day, the Jewish people place a stone on uh, the gravesite. Um, when my dad passed, uh, it's been about three years now, I went back and, and I placed a stone on his, his headstone because I thought that was a really wonderful way of not only saying you're not forgotten, but also being able to say, I respect, I honor, I remember you. And a good sense of closure that it's been one year of mourning. And it, it's now time to remember that person with respect and do our best to move on and respect that person's memory by living our lives with joy and talking about that person with joy and great remembrance. And so when you see these um, grave pictures, I'm excited to share them with you because sometimes there's children where people have left little toys or trinkets Somebody's gone around and left beads. Um, but a lot of this stuff has been done very recently. And it was shortly after Memorial Day weekend, because it was the first weekend in June. And there had been flowers and things like that that had been left uh, recently, you could tell, even though they were, you know, started, they were at the end or they were um, paper or, um, you know, really lovely flowers that had, that would last a long time and silk flowers, that kind of thing. So it was really a unique thing to see. And you could see that other people had tried to clean up some of the gravestones. For instance, if there had been graffiti or anything like that, you could see that there had been some sandblasting done to clean the gravestone. And I thought that was just really special that people would care this many years later. And the thing that was interesting to me, too, was that these graves went back to around 1860. And uh, you can't tell because there's, there's no way to see what the dates were on those original wooden headstones. But um, you see them with a lot of um, significance where there's, there's whole families might be married or buried, sorry, buried under a specific grave marker, which has a different family member on the side. So you can see time, the passage of time. You can see the love that was put into them. Um, it's just, it's really amazing. We spent a lot of time walking through the graveyard, just getting to know the people of that uh, community. And I thought that was uh, quite amazing to me. And then in addition to that, there's, uh, when you go, there's picnic areas that you can go and lunch at, whether you're camping or not. There's a big picnic area right there in a large um, parking area for you to go into. And if you, you should bring your own water, you should bring your own sunscreen, you should bring bug spray because there's definitely some mosquitoes out because the water's right there by. Um, but there is inside the Rangers um, welcome shop, there's refrigerated bottled drinks. But again, um, it's hot out there in the summer. Uh, very interesting because the range of temperature, the range of degrees is stunning. So when we were out there, it was in the high 80s and it was um, like June third, fourth time frame. And the in the winter, it can get to 60 degrees below Fahrenheit, 60 degrees below zero. And it's stunning that people survived out there in those kinds of conditions from those extremes of, you know, over 120, 130 degrees difference. And they survived and thrived. Okay, some of the other interesting stories I want to tell you about. 
besides the fact that the buildings are in the process of continually being preserved, you can walk in and through uh, the majority of them. There's a gorgeous Mead Hotel. It's just gorgeous. It doesn't have a spiral staircase, but it does have a long curving staircase. Um, you can go up into the buildings. You can take a lot of photography. And I challenge you to look, go into the buildings and look out the windows and see what in, interesting photographs you'll get doing that. I was really stunned by how the windows could frame the gorgeous outdoors. And then there's uh, inside that hotel, you can go back and you kind of see how the kitchens were. And a lot of the different buildings besides the hotel have still the original uh, wallpaper up. And yes, it's peeling and it's faded and stuff like that. But you can look at Victorian, Old West, what the, what the type and styles of paper were that was on the walls. And it can really fill in your imagination of those people that were there. And then you can go down to the church and you see the original pews and inside the doors of the church is the anteroom. Um, there, there's a little benches where you can lift them up and they would have maybe helped wood uh, for uh, keeping the building warm. Um, right down the walkway from there is this beautiful field and it, the field is full of old rusted mining equipment. Now I know over the radio that sounds not so great, when you look at it, the way it's arranged, it's incredibly artistic. And I challenge you to look at it and take photos from different angles. And then learn about uh, the pieces of equipment that are there so that you can see. But then look up because behind them, a little bit more town goes on. And it goes up into the mountains where they would have gone and done their uh, gold mining. So it's fantastic. And you walk a little ways down and you see more buildings, more little houses, um, a little shops and the surveyor assayer's office where they would have weighed the gold. And there's another smaller field uh, that has where you can tie up your horses because you can actually take your horses up to Bannock and go up on a ride. There's a horse trail that goes up from Bannock. So it's quite an amazing opportunity. So besides uh, fishing, Maybe the river at the time was running high, so you'd have to check that. But definitely, you know, later in the summer, you could go wading or swimming, but you want to keep your eye on the children because it's a, it's a good-sized river. It's not just a little creek. And then uh, you can also take your horses and go riding. So when you're wandering through, though, make sure both sides of the road, the whole town goes down both sides of the road, and then there's some outer buildings that I'm sure there were other dirt roads back there and you know 150 years ago um i didn't have a lot of time we we were there for just the afternoon i didn't have a lot of time to go into the back outer building so um, my husband and i are planning to go later on this summer for the weekend and we want to uh camp and then we want to go and explore all the buildings again so i'm pretty excited about that but i promise to be taking bug spray and sunscreen trust me you will need it and <laughs> Then, uh, in addition to that, you come back down the other side of the road, and there's more houses. There is one building that's pretty stunning, and it's both the schoolhouse on the bottom level, and the top level is um, Mason Lodge. So the Masons, and it is preserved. It's pristine. It's just gorgeous, and it's they've put glass over the doors so that you can walk up and look through the glass and nothing inside is disturbed. So you can walk in and be totally in and even give a student class. Boy, if you're homeschoolers and you go to that, you can actually do school in that classroom. 
it's it's stunning. But you don't want to erase the board because guess what? On the board are the rules for a 1915 school teacher. <laughs> they are hysterical because they're so different. They're so antiquated compared to today. And they even told a teacher how many petticoats she had to wear. Trust me, that I think is specific. <laughs> but I think when you start to realize uh, that this was a town of, I think they said 30,000 at the time, and now it's completely gone. One of the reasons Bannock disappeared and became a ghost town was because the train was put through only nowhere near Bannock. The train ended up going through more up closer to where I-90 runs today, and still the train goes through there. And so what the Bannock was was a stopover of people going between California, Nevada, you know, and um, Montana. And so it was a great uh, stagecoach stop. But there's also another one, another stop along the way called Robber's Roost. And that was renowned for where the road robbers would go and hide out. And this is why this is so important. In Bannock, there was a sheriff named Henry Plummer. And Henry Plummer had been in prison and he'd been in for quite some time. And he got out and he reinvented himself. And he had done this now several times in his life where he kept reinventing himself. And what stunned me was how young he was. Um, but he, a lot of these people were very, very young when they created careers for themselves, whether they're good or bad. And in Bannock, it was quite lawless. There was gunfire all the time. And in fact, there was a uh, barber there who had his chair and his barber station in the window of the local saloon. And you can walk in, you can see that, you can see the bar and all this. And on the, on the wall of the saloon is the story of Henry Plummer and how he was eventually caught. So by day, he was the local town sheriff. By night, he was a double agent. He was a road agent who was uh, leading a whole pack, a slew of different groups of road bandits that would stop all of the gold shipments. And he would tell them when gold shipments were coming through. So eventually he was caught and he was hung. And so that was a, an amazing story of somebody who played double life. And it was so easy to do back then. And people did not realize that that was what was going on. And when they started to catch on to it, boy, they were all over that. And they just, the, the Montana vigilantes just like took care of it. So that was quite an interesting story. And it's right there. It's written out and hung on the walls for you to read. So again, not only highly educational, but highly entertaining to read the stories of what these people would do and going through and learning what these people achieved. And especially people that would go live in a place that was such extreme conditions chasing after gold. I thought that was just amazing. Uh, when you go, make sure that you give yourself time to go sit in the shade and picnic in the heat of the day. The heat of the day for Montana, it tends to be later in the day. So if you arrive and you go through earlier, you're going to be more comfortable than if you go through later. Um, the heat of Montana tends to be more of the 2, 3, 4 o'clock um, and all the way through probably 6 o'clock at night. That's whereas if you're further south, you know, you've got that 10 to 2 time frame. And when you're further north up in Montana, you're really looking more at the 
two to five time frame, which is going to be your heavy hot time. So if you go earlier in the day, you're going to have a cooler time, a better time, and then you can picnic, go play by the river, that kind of thing in the later day. Um, then Bannock is not terribly far off of I-90, but if you're going through Montana, you, there's a couple of different towns. There's Whitehall and there is um, Ruby Valley area where there's a couple of bed and breakfasts and things like that. So if you're not a camper, there's opportunity that you can stay just about 45 minutes uh, away from Bannock. Um, you can also go to Virginia City. And I'll share a little bit about Virginia City and Nevada City with you on a future um, broadcast. But I think if you want to take a look, I'm going to get the photos up today for you. If you want to take a look at the photos in the show notes, um, you're going to really enjoy learning about Bannock and going there as a family. Uh, I think it would be an amazing place. I am not kidding. It'd be an amazing place to have a rustic wedding. I don't, uh, I don't know the specifics. You'd have to check in with Park Ranger. But um, I think that would be just a stunning place. If people, you don't want to be like super dressed up for this because there's, you know, there's loose boards and things like that in some of the buildings. But what if you could have a beautiful wedding in the chapel there? Wouldn't that be stunning? And what if you just kind of everybody camped out at that campground and you reserved all those spots for the wedding? I think that would be stunning. And if it were me, I would suggest during the week because it does get quite busy. And I was going to tell you a little bit about the festival. Bannock Days happens in um, in Bannock, and they put vendors inside the um, uh, each of the different buildings that are able, to, and then people can go to the to the event in Bannock Days. But what's really important about that is that it's it's really teeming with a lot of tourism. They do have some reenactments and they do have some uh, staged gun sh gunfights out in the streets and things like that. It runs, um, it's pretty cool. It usually happens in July and they serve a breakfast at the Hotel Mead at 7 a.m. on both of those days. And it runs from 9 to 5 on Saturday and 9 to 4.30 on Sunday. And it's, it's really a very cool thing to do. They demonstrate pioneer skills, spinners, spin wool, quilters craft a quilt. You can learn how wagon wheels and baskets are made up. And I'll leave the, uh, on the show notes, I'll make sure to put up a, um, a link to the site where you can learn uh, about Bannock Days. But that one is, it's, it's in July. And if you don't like crowds, and if you want to be able to walk through all of the buildings, then I think you're going to appreciate going at a different time. But this year, it's Saturday, July 15th. And it's always in July. So if you're listening to the show later on, um, make sure that you check on the date for, for that particular year at the link that I put in the show notes. But there's no smoking. Make sure you don't do that. And then they have a whole line of events and things that are going on. So you may want to go to Bannock twice. You may want to go on a, the day before the festival or a couple of weeks before and enjoy it yourself. And then you may want to go back for the festival. But it's kind of wall-to-wall -wall people. So um, make sure that you're aware of that. They do have musicians and um, bluegrass, gospel, old-time fiddlers, all, all these kinds of things going on. But here's a really cool thing. If you go on the weekends, like Friday, Saturday, Sunday time frame, there is a 
historian who plays in one of the little houses that is outfitted just gorgeously. Not every single building, not every single house or anything like that has all the old furniture. And some of them are in quite the state of disrepair. They're breaking down. They're 150, 160 years old, made of wood and paper. So you can understand that this is definitely a ghost town. But one of the houses has been uh, restored and kept very well. It's got furniture in it. And it has a historian who likes to go and play the old piano and the old pump organ. And so if you go, you can hear songs from the late 1800s through the turn of the century 1900s. Really, really fun. And in that little house, it's toward the front of where you go through to enter the town gate by the parking lot, and it'll be on your right side. Um, save that for a special treat. You know, maybe do that one at the end because it's cooler when you walk in there as well. And it's very fun, but you get to hear a lot of the music and, and that. And the historian will tell you a lot about Bannock and a uh, little bit of tips and information. But inside the house, if you go into the parlor, you go past the piano, around through into the dining room, into the parlor. On the wall is an actual document signed by Abraham Lincoln, who in, he instates the first territory governor, not state governor, because Montana became a territory in 1864. And it is has Abraham Lincoln's signature, and it's quite beautiful and quite large. It's poster size, and it's a major historical document right there on the wall. So I will try to post a picture of that as well, but you just can't, uh, can't believe it unless you see it yourself. It's so beautiful. And then make sure that you have a chance to take a look at the river, how it winds through the valley, the mountains. It's just such stunning country. I cannot describe to you any better than that, that it is just stunning country. The green rolling hills in June. Now, when you come in July or August, most likely it's going to go to what it does with most of Montana. It gets pretty dry. And so the green will be just more down by the river and the grasses will start to turn to that golden brown waving in the wind kind of thing. But the rain season this year, it, well, the rain season in Montana tends to be June. Um, September is a, is a spectacular time to visit Montana. It's my September uh, through the middle of October. Everything in Montana is just golden and shimmers and glows and the weather is like the most perfect ever. So there's my tip if you're traveling to Montana, uh, the September through the middle of October is the best time to visit Montana as a rule. But if you're visiting to the ghost towns, you're going to want to make sure and check hours, times, and availability. Uh, Bannock in the winter could be pretty doggone tough to reach, So you're and also incredibly cold to visit. So you would want to be super bundled up. But it might be a great place to, you know, if you're going to cross-country ski, might be a great place to try doing some of that. So check in with um, the local authorities on, on cross-country skiing, then that would be pretty spectacular. But you're not going to want to camp down there then. <laughs> so there's there's some pretty amazing snow and uh, ice and very, very cold time frame. Anyway, this has been a wonderful experience for me to visit um, the and explore Montana's ghost towns. And I'll do a couple more shows on that because not only are we historically speaking uh, romance and the stories of our ancestors, but we want to know how did they live. And we want to fill in a little bit of the blanks, understand where they came from, why they did what they did. And it helps us to understand more 
how our country was formed, how the civilization throughout the world was formed, when we understand a little bit more about the places and spaces they came from. So gold mining most definitely is what started Montana in Bannock, and you need to go there. It's, it should be on your bucket list. And next time we'll visit with, uh, coming up in the summer, we're going to be visiting with some Native Americans from the Salish and other tribes. I've been able to set up some interviews coming up this summer that will help us understand what's happening with the Salish language. A little bit more about the history of when the the Salish children were taken away from their parents and put into English schools. So I'm looking forward to interviewing Stephen, one of the elders from the Salish Kootenai tribe, and he'll be on with us in the future with his wife, Juanita, and they're just wonderful people. So I look forward to sharing them with you. And I hope you've enjoyed learning a little bit about um, Bannock, Montana, and I hope that you will bring your family so uh, make sure to check the show notes. This is Angela Breidenbach with Historically Speaking. If you want to know more about me and my books and why I love Montana history so much, uh, check in with me at AngelaBreidenbach.com. That's A-N-G-E-L-A-B-R-E-I-D-E-N-B-A-C-H.com. And you can find me on social media at, at Ange Breidenbach, A-N-G-B-R-E-I-D-E-N-B-A-C-H. And I hope you'll be back with me again next time on Historically Speaking.